have any? I don't know if we have any. As they are going out, if you would turn to Romans 6, <clears throat> excuse me, Romans 6, we'll be looking at verses 15 to 32. Romans 6, verses 15 to 23, excuse me, 15 to 23. There are not 32 verses in Romans 6. I added like, you know, nine or so verses. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you, had, which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Slavery is a topic that is not easily talked about, and yet Paul in our passage today is talking directly about slavery. And when we talk about slavery, we bring a lot of baggage with it. The first place we goes tend to think of the abuses in our recent history, which are true in a lot of ways. And yet this is not quite the same way in which Paul uses it. Paul is talking about slavery in in his time, Uh, but it's not exactly different either. There were those who would go into slavery willingly, and yet some did not. Some were captives from wars and other things. And Paul, in talking about slavery, though, is trying to make a point. He's trying to talk about our actions. We talked about habits some last week, some. Habits, as Paul describes them here, are anything that we allow ourselves to be slaves to. That we let become our master. We surrender ourselves to them. Last week we talked about how, or Paul tells us how we could abuse grace. That we cannot continue sinning that grace may abound because we have been set free from sin. And he expands on this point today. You are free from sin, but you are not free to nothing. As you are free from sin, you now have a new master. 
you are now slaves to God and to righteousness. There's an emphasis here then on what we might call Christian slavery. We are slaves to Christ. Freedom from sin does not mean freedom to sin. We are still under obligation to obey our new master. Yes, once you were slaves, but you were slaves to sin, and now you are slaves to God. And so in that vein, we will look at three things as we approach this passage. Who do you serve is our first point. Whom should you serve is our second point. And finally, we will look at the wages versus the gift. Let's begin by looking at who do you serve Paul begins our passage here in verse 15, much in the same way as he started verse 1 of this chapter. He begins by asking a question and giving a definitive answer to it. Uh, He says here, what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And his answer once again is, by no means, may it never be. He says, look, you're no longer under the law, and that is certainly true in a sense. Christ has freed you from the law. But this does not mean that the Christian is free to do whatever they want. God's grace is liberating. It frees us. But it also constrains us. He shows us this in verse 16 by beginning saying, Do you not know? Do you not know if you present yourself to sin over and over and over again, you become a slave to it? You are a slave to that sin. This is the character of the old man. Christians can no longer yield to sin. John um, 8.34 Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Paul is calling the Christian out, Christian, if you are indeed in Christ, then you can no longer be a slave to sin. You must, you must be a slave to obedience. How do you feel about this idea of being a slave to obedience? The imagery is very startling and striking, isn't it? How is a slave to obey its master? You are to do whatever your master says unfailingly and unfalteringly. And this is the way we are to act towards obedience. We cannot fool ourselves. The non-Christian, those outside of Christ will say, oh, I'm more free than you. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. That's what they like to tell, right? I'm more free than you. You've hindered yourselves. You've given yourself these list of rules. Why would you put on this yoke of constraining your life? And yet they live under a delusion. They have a master. That master is sin. For the Christian, 
Obedience becomes a key part of the Christian life. Calvin says that obedience is the mother of true knowledge. Huh. Why would obedience be the mother of true knowledge? It's an interesting and and startling statement, I think. He's saying you can't neglect obedience because it's only when you're obeying God that you can know God. It's only when you're obeying God that you can know God. There are ultimate consequences in our service. If you serve sin, your consequence is death. If you serve righteousness, then the consequence is life. These are the two options we have set before us. And we have to ask ourselves, who do you serve? Who do you serve? What do you serve? Although, interestingly, I think the question of what ultimately goes back to who. Are you serving money? Is your goal to get as much money as you can? Are you serving things? Are you serving your own power, your own position, or And whatever that looks like in your world. Are you serving your own arrogance and pride? Ultimately, all those things are a service to sin. Anything that we serve that is not God is all service to sin. And the result of all of this service is death. But we're at church here, right? I'm sure the majority of you, and not all of you, well, I'm a Christian. Of course I don't serve sin. (laughs) But I think we still have to ask ourselves, who are we serving? Do our lives reflect service to Christ in all aspects? If If I leave off that last sentence, we might can get ourselves okay right i serve god sometimes i serve god mostly no we cannot serve two masters we can only have one master and this serving this idea of service creeps into everywhere into our private lives into our home lives into our church lives into our public lives Who are we hoping to serve? Do we seek our own glory or do we seek God's glory? Do we seek to help and serve others or are we really, are our actions self-satisfying? What are our true goals in our service? What are our true motives? Think about it this way. How do you view your job? Who do you serve in your job when you go out to your job? Maybe you're self-employed. Are you serving your client? Maybe you have a boss. Are you going to work seeking to serve your boss? Or do you go to your job seeking to serve self? It's about my money, what I can get. Now that's a limited analogy, isn't it? Because we know it's earthly authorities. So the Christian has to ask themselves, who should you serve? No Christian, and in fact, no one anywhere is neutral in this matter. 
We all serve someone or something. And the Christian particularly is to commit, our, commit themselves to Christ. We have faith in him and we submit to him in obedience. This is the interesting thing here. Yes, there is a sense in which we have put off the law of Moses. Moses, excuse me. But verse 17 says this, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is Paul talking about here? What is this standard of teaching? He's saying, yes, you are no longer under the literal Mosaic law, but you are under scripture and scripture has given, has been given authority over you because it is, it is the very words of God. And therefore you are to live your life according to scripture. You have a new master. Christ is your master and you are under the authority of his teaching. Paul uses the word here, we have been freed. You have been given freedom. But it is not some autonomous, like I live on an island, I make my own rules, I do what I want to do. We don't determine our own path, as it were. This is hard. Because we hate the idea of authority, don't we? When we're little itty bitty kids, we hate the idea of authority. Josiah, I got to spend some time yesterday with Josiah. Josiah is 21 months old and he hates authority. He took a lamp. Boom. Josiah, don't do that. Not two, three minutes later, they took the same lamp. Boom. Because at 21 months old, he hates the idea of authority. Someone who's going to tell him, no. You've had, if you've had kids, you've seen this. Kids, if you've been a kid, you understand this. You hate the idea of authority. We don't like being told, you can do this and you can't do this. I remember speaking with a campus minister, and I went to the same seminary after him. And Every week during seminary, it was either a Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon, we had chapel. And I remember him telling me this. He said, as soon as they told me I had to be at chapel, I stopped going. You can't tell me what I'm gonna, I, ha- I have to and cannot do. And he was acknowledging sinfulness in that. He said, don't make the same mistake I did. But isn't it funny that even in a place like that, we're at seminary. You should want to go to chapel, right? This is, you're learning about God all the time. Why would you not want to give your time to go to chapel? And he was acknowledging something in his own heart. As soon as you told me it was a rule that I had to do, no, you can't tell me what I'm going to do and not do. You've seen your kids give you that look like, how dare you tell me what I can and can't do? We have someone that we serve who constrains us, who we have to give our obedience to. We are called to do right. We are called to obey because of our relationship with him. Paul here, you know, we talk about slavery and Paul here acknowledges the hardness of this imagery. I am, in, I am speaking in human terms, he says in verse 19, because of your natural limitations. He's saying, look, at some point, this analogy of slavery is going to break down, and it's going to be hard for you to understand. 
He said, look, earthly masters, this idea of an earthly master is not a good one because you've had terrible earthly masters. Slavery comes with images of fear and confinement and degradation. He says this breaks down, but what you have to understand is, yes, while earthly masters are this way, you have a new heavenly master. And he requires unquestioning obedience. And because of this, the imagery of slavery is appropriate. We cannot disobey our master, but we also have to understand that we have a good and gracious master. And so we are to serve and follow after him. Now, I'd like you to take a moment. I'd like you to think about the things that you have served in your life. What are those things that maybe have plagued you or are still plaguing you? Those things that you just have to do. Money, lust, pleasures, power. How do you pursue those things or how did you pursue those things? How did you go after them? The things that are important to you. We must remember who we serve and the manner in which we serve our God is important. We are to surrender to him completely and there's no part of ourselves that we can withhold. Many of you know, this is no secret. I am a Lego junkie and I serve my Legos well. I have saved change for five or six years and cashed in all that change just to buy more Legos. I will drive all the way into Birmingham to the Galleria just to get my Legos if I need to get my Legos. I serve my Lego master well. Now, I say this, and sadly, I'm not joking that much. (laughs) I wish I were. And I'm, I bet, though, that you have something that you could fill in the place of Lego. For, for men, it may be something like hunting or fishing or golfing. or For women, I'm being very stereotypical here, so forgive me. It might be shopping or whatever it is. Shoes. I don't, I don't, I'm not as sexist as I pretend to be. Um, <laughs> But you get the image here, right? There's things that typically we rep- the world represents that we seek after. Do you seek after obedience to God with the same fervor and dedication that I seek after Legos? Do you do whatever you have to do to serve God? Do you seek righteousness no matter how long it takes, no matter what the cost? Are you serving God? Do you see Christ as your master? 
as the one who owns you. Not like an earthly ruler, not in a harsh way, not seeking to rule you by fear and intimidation, but as a kind and gracious master who has loved you with a great love, who has brought you out of death and into his kingdom of life. Do you serve Jesus with all of you, with every last ounce of who you are? This is what Paul is calling us to here through the inspiration of the Spirit. You are no longer slaves to sin, but you are slaves to Jesus. And we are to act in such a way because we are to remember our status. As we come to the end of our our text here, Romans 6 ends with this verse that we have heard how many times, right? This is a t-shirt verse, right? We see this all over. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is something we all know, maybe... This is one of those memory verses. We can get it in our head. It's a good uh, go-to verse, right? And yet it speaks volume for us. And it's true because the non-Christian prides themselves, as we said, on being free. I am free. But Paul says in verse 20, apart from Christ, yes, you're free. You're free from righteousness. You have nothing to do with righteousness. They can't do it. They're they're free from the power to please God. They're deaf to God's righteous demands. They are incapable of honoring and pleasing him. Paul exposes their fruit. Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at the time? From the things of which you are now ashamed. What are the fruits of an unrighteous life? My fruits are a basement full of Legos. (laughs) What are the fruits of the unrighteous life? John Calvin says this. He only then is imbued with the principles of Christian philosophy, who has well learnt to be really displeased with himself and to be confounded with shame for his own wretchedness. I love that sentence. Are you confounded with shame for your own wretchedness? We don't talk like that anymore, right? Maybe that's a good thing, but I think it also is a bad thing. Are you confounded with shame for your own wretchedness? Do you understand that the fruit of your life apart from Christ is worth being ashamed of? He says, but now you've been set free. Verse 22, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. And your fruits lead to sanctification at its end. You have been given a new fruit. That new fruit, its results are holiness of life. Holiness of life that eventually end in eternal life. Paul puts up 
sin and God as rivals here. Two opposing camps that cannot go together. The penalty for one is merited. We deserve death because of our sin. But the gift, the the gift of the other is not merited. It is free. The free gift of God is eternal life. Prior to really starting into my preparation for the sermon i tried to get jeff a title a working title for the week and and this week I, it was i landed as you see in the bulletin wages versus sin it wasn't until afterwards that i was reading a commentary martin lloyd jones uh he, he came up with the same thing before i did uh, but i didn't steal it from him so that made me feel hey i'm, I'm doing okay if i can come up with something that lloyd jones came up with felt really good about myself martin lloyd jones also being our quoted guy for this week and he said this, he had three dichotomies here. It's, it's about sin versus God, about death versus eternal life, about wage versus gift. In our sin, we deserve death and it is what we are owed as a wage. But in God, we receive eternal life and it's given freely as a gift. The wages of sin is death. And we must understand this apart from Christ. Apart from his saving work, we are indeed children of wrath, deserving only death. We are deserving of hell. Even the best things that we do are filthy rags. We are reading in our time as a family this week, and we were reading in 1 John 4 about love. And it's a, it was a hard thing because Ashley was sitting there and she was asking, well, what about this person I know who doesn't go to church? Can't they love? And it's hard because the answer you have to say is, apart from Christ, no, they cannot love. Not in a real way. Apart from Christ and his redeeming work, we are only deserving of hell and all that we do is filthy rags. This is true for all who are apart from Christ, no matter how good they are externally, no matter how much they strive to do what they think is right, apart from Christ, they are children of wrath. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, the gift that we could not earn and we do not deserve is eternal life. God does not leave us to ourselves Isn't that wonderful and beautiful? He doesn't just say, you have sinned against me and you deserve nothing. Here's your merited reward. No, he comes in and says, I give you that which is not merited. I give you the free offer of grace. We have been brought out of death into life. We've done this not on our own. And therefore, therefore we must be Moving in our sanctification and being holy, striving after our master, seeking to serve him in all that we do. So I leave you with this question. Who do you serve? Who do you serve? Do you serve God or sin? Those are your options. There are none other. You either serve God or you serve sin. If you serve God, then serve him with all zeal. 
treat it as the main focus of your life. Treat it as if it's the only thing that matters. Because guess what? It's the only thing that matters. All else is fleeting. Everything else that you can strive and work for will be gone. And it does not matter. That's the simple reality. And if we can't get past this idea in our head that I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this, we're missing it. Remember, you have been given a free gift. You had earned for yourself death, but he has given to you life. We must, if we are in Christ, serve our master well. But hear this too. If you are not serving him today, then you have earned death. You have earned death, but Christ, the gospel, the Bible has not left you without hope. Turn to the one who can bring you out of death and bring you into life. This is the hope and the good news of the gospel. This is what we come to remember here today. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus. Would we be reminded of it? Would we know who our master is? And would we serve him well? We pray in his holy name. Amen.